0: All the kids are coming, maybe one of the kids is coming. a different translation uses a slightly different word that helps me to understand something better. And so today I'm going to read to us Psalm 121. It comes it is it's coming from what's called the New International Reader's Version and I like the way it has the words on this. And Psalm 121 do you know what a psalm is? Do you know have any idea what that means? A psalm is a song. Back when Jesus was on the earth, the psalms that we have in the Bible, those were the songs Ola. that they would sing when they would go to church, huh? Ola. Really? Ola. Orla, yeah. That's halal. It's it's, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Ola means halal. Oh, okay. Ola means halal, right? Okay. Got it. Now I got it. I speak a little bit of Spanish. Alright, well I want to read these. only eight verses, but I want to read it. I want you to listen to this one special word that I want you to hear. Not necessarily one special word, but one special thought. I look at the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He won't let your foot slip. He who watches over you, he won't get tired. In fact, he who watches over you won't get tired or even go to sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is just like a shade tree at your right hand. The, the sun won't harm you during the day. The moon won't harm you during the night. The Lord will keep you from every kind of harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your life no matter where you go, both now and forever. And I love this, this, this psalm, this hymn, this song that they sing because it tells me that God is where I can turn when I need help. When I'm scared or upset or afraid or if I'm angry or if I'm hungry or if I'm anything, I'm sick. I can go to God because He is my help. And it says, He will always be available to me now and forever. He will watch over me all the time. And it, even at nighttime it says He'll watch over me. And this is the thing I want us to remember here this morning. God who watches over us doesn't get tired. It says He doesn't ever go to sleep. Have you ever known somebody that doesn't go to sleep? Every person I've ever met has to go to sleep at some time. So even if they say, I'll take care of you, I'll always take care of you, you can trust me, sometimes they have to go to sleep. That's just how God made human beings. But God doesn't need sleep. So when God says, I'll take care of you, even when you're sleeping yourself, God is always there taking care of you, protecting you, providing for you. So you can know whenever there's a challenge or a problem or something that you're afraid of, you can know that you can turn to God because He'll be there to help you. You can know God will be there forever, and you can know He will never, ever, ever go to sleep. He will always be awake. So you can talk to Him anytime. Even if you wake up in the middle of the night and your mom's asleep and your dad's asleep, and your brother's and sister's asleep, and you're scared, and you go, and God will say, I'm awake. I'm right here. I'll take care of you. You can trust me. Let me pray for that. Jesus, I ask that you help these kids to come into a close relationship with you where when they are fearful or or needy or upset, that they know that they can turn to you and know that you will always be there and know that there will never be a time when you're not available to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Okay, normally you guys go back to your parents or to whatever room you're in. But starting hold on on just a second, but starting next week, I want you to look over at Miss Fawn. See she's waving at you? Starting next week, when we're done with this time, Miss Fawn is going to take you guys to a special place and have a lesson for you. But that starts next week, okay? Not today. Alright, you guys go back and sit with your folks. Some of you may have access to a hymnal They're in the pew racks in front of you. They look like this. They say, sing to the Lord. If you turn to reading number eight, which is right there at the very beginning, each item in the the hymnal is numbered. It's not not page numbers, but item numbers. So item number eight is called the Apostles Creed. The Apostles Creed is one of the most ancient Christian statements of faith. And then if you turn to number 14, it's the Nicene Creed, which is a little bit younger than the Apostles Creed. But they're both ancient, ancient, ancient statements of faith. And you don't need to go through them right now. But as you read through the statements of faith and go ahead and stay on, on number 14 And if you look, number 14 is actually at the bottom of one page and then crosses over to the top of another page. So if you go to the top of the other page, in the middle of the first paragraph, you'll see he suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. So what this statement of faith says to us about Jesus was that he came down to, he- to earth from heaven. He became incarnate, human flesh. He then suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. Then it says he ascended into heaven, which if you read the Gospels, it says he literally Flew up, if you will, floated up, was pulled up. However, we're not told how, but we know that the disciples actually saw him rise up until the clouds covered where they could no longer see him. And he entered into the presence of God into heaven. And from that time until the time that he comes to judge the earth. It says he is seated at the right hand of the father. Now, we say those words, but what do they mean? And I'm not asking you to raise your hand and tell me, because it's none of your business right now. I'm going to tell you what they mean. (laughs) You're welcome. No, I'm just saying, this is something that I focused on this week. It was one of those, I couldn't get away from it, things. It was, hmm. Well, I will share with you, when I was in the military, one of the things that we learned a lot as we traveled from you know, military uh, assignment to assignment, we were in, always inculturated. We were always taught what the local culture did. Like, for example, I and I'm not trying to be crude or crass, but I want you to know, this is something that you need to be aware of because we live in a global community now because of the internet, and there's always the possibility that you could do something, could offend somebody on the other side of the world and not even know it. This means peace. If you turn your hand around... In England, it's the middle finger. Oh. Now, I did that to an old lady at church one Sunday. <laughs> didn't I knew that I wasn't supposed to? I just didn't think about it, and I went, "Oh, I got to and she went, "You know," I said, "Oh, I'm so, I'm so, so, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." Okay, so there are culturally things. Do you remember back in the early '90s? President George... I mean, no, late 90s. It was either late 90s, early 2000s. President George uh, Bush, the younger, was speaking in a Middle Eastern country and somebody threw their shoe at him. Do you know that that wasn't just some crazy idiot throwing a shoe, but there was some cultural significance to that? Do you know if you look in John chapter 13 and in the Psalms, it talks about someone who I am close with causing great offense to me by showing me the heel of the sole of their foot. That is a great offense in the Middle East. If you sit down in the Middle East and you raise up your foot and cross it across your leg, you are literally showing the middle finger. That's literally what's happening. You're, you're saying you're no better than the on the bottom of my feet. And Jesus said because this cultural thing goes back even to then the person that I shared this meal with John chapter 13, the, the last supper, the person that I shared this meal with has raised his heel up against me. Now he's quoting out of the Psalms, but he's talking about Judas. See, there are cultural things that we've lost because it's not our culture. And that's what this right hand thing is. It's a cultural thing going back to that era, that place, that time means nothing to us. So you're trying to understand what the scriptures say. And oh, we've got these ancient creeds and they say, he's seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? God doesn't have a body. God doesn't sit in a particular place. So how could Jesus be sitting on the right side of some spirit that doesn't how uh... well, if you understand their culture, the right hand in that culture is the symbol of power and strength. The left hand is offensive in that culture. You never touch anyone with your left hand. You don't eat with your left hand. You don't do anything with your left hand except wipe your bottom. So you would never touch somebody with the left hand because it's causing great offense. But the right hand is held in high esteem. The right hand shows power and strength. And you can see that throughout the scriptures if you understand that. That under, that, that, that idea, that phraseology. So it's the, is it talking about Jesus is sitting at the power of God? Hmm, maybe. The interesting thing, and I wanted, I shared with you the left-hand thing, because there's this interesting thing in the Gospels where the mother of a couple of brothers who are disciples of Jesus come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to do something for me. And he says, what do you want? She says, I want you to give the seats on either side of you to my boys. I want one to have the one on the right and the one to have the one on the left. You want Jesus to touch your brother, your son, with his left hand? Isn't that offense? No, 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 no. There's something about the right and the left in a position seated next to someone who's an authority that has honor. If you remember Jesus' teaching, which actually comes out of the Proverbs... Uh, Jesus teaching is whenever you come are invited to a meal, never take the seat of honor at the table, always take a lesser seat. That way, when the host comes in, he can then honor you by saying, no, no, friend, you come and sit here next to me in the position of honor, either on the right or on the left. And so, um, because otherwise he said, because if you take the seat without permission, it may be that someone who's greater in authority or greater in in prestige or esteem comes into the room and then you have to be humiliated and be told, get out, this is for them. And then you have to just take whatever seats left over. You end up at the least seat at the table. I actually had that happen when I was in the military. I was stationed at Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And we were at a commander's call. And the commander was a lieutenant colonel. That's one step under a full colonel. And the colonel is one step under a general. Okay? So the one with the, with the eagle on his shoulders or on his collar is the colonel. The one with the, the silver leaves is the lieutenant colonel. The one with the star is the general. We were in the room. When the commander comes into the room, it is proper protocol for the first sergeant or the highest ranking person in the room to jump to attention and call the rest of the room to attention in honor of the person who was coming in. In our case, at our commander's call, that would have been our Lieutenant Colonel Long. However, the The colonel, the full colonel, who was the boss of the lieutenant colonel, had come to this commander's call to make a special presentation, and he arrived five minutes before the commander's call started, and was already in the room, seated in the front row in his position of honor. The first sergeant didn't know that. The first sergeant and the colonel, the lieutenant colonel, come in the door, and the first sergeant jumps to attention and yells, Room! tit." And everyone, including the full colonel, come to attention in honor of the general who was coming through the door. Because you would never call a room to attention for a light colonel when there's a colonel present. And when it was realized what had happened, the colonel looked at the light colonel and said, I hope the general's behind you. <laughs> and we all went, aye, 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 aye. Now, It was it was okay. Nobody was offended to the point where anybody got in trouble. But it was it was that kind of protocol that was going on here when Mrs. Jones came up and said, I want my boys to be able to sit on your right and on your left. And Jesus looked at her and said, I'm not saying that they're not worthy of it, but I am saying it's not mine to give. God, the father, will decide who gets those seats. But God the Father decided that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that Jesus gets the seat to the right of the Father. What does that mean? Well, let's look at some of these verses. Go ahead and bring up the first screen. If you go through the Gospels, now I did not do absolutely every single verse because it it would be slide after slide after slide after slide. But these are the most prominent in the Gospels that talk about Jesus being at the right hand or somebody being at the right hand. Uh, go ahead and bring up the next slide. These are the books in the New Testament other than the Gospels that talk about the right hand. Someone seated at the right hand. Like in Acts chapter 2, this is Peter's uh, Peter's uh, first sermon where the 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost. He's talking about Jesus being ascended to the Father and sitting at the right hand of God's power. And then in uh, Acts chapter 7, that's Stephen stoning. When Stephen says, I can see all of heaven open and I can see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. And then Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, we're going to look a little bit at those. Go ahead and bring up the next slide for me. But before we get into the New Testament... Ideas and thoughts about the right hand of God. I want to give you uh, Psalm 110, which is one of the ancient psalms. You heard me say to the kids, the Psalms were the ancient songbook of of the uh, the Hebrew people. And where did I leave my Bible? Over there. <laughs> Silly pastor. And yes, that one it's being recorded, so I have to look goofy too. <laughs> All right. So Psalm 110, if you turn with me to it, if you don't know where the Psalms are, it's in the very middle of the Bible. Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit. What am I doing? Ruth. Technology. They're my friend today. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. What in the world does that mean? It says at the beginning of Psalm 110 that it's a psalm of David. So David wrote this song. And David said, the Lord, and if you look in your Bible, it usually has all four words, all four letters capitalized. That means it's talking about God. Says to my Lord, a lesser being, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. So God is saying to whoever this other Lord is, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. And then later on, it says, verse four. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, who is Melchizedek? He was that weird priest guy in the time of Abraham that nobody knows the origin of or the end of. He's just kind of this guy that's there in Jerusalem. And Abraham presents a tithe to this priest. And Melchizedek is held up as being a priest of God over the nation of Israel, if you will. We'll don't have time to go into all that. So that's what we've, we know the Israelites would have sung these songs as they walked and marched to their festivals in Jerusalem. The kids, the little kids, would have sung Psalm 110, even if they didn't have a clue what it means. The Lord has said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool and, Who knows what they were doing while they were walking along to Jerusalem. But these were the songs that they would have sung. Now, let's go into Matthew chapter 22. So now you have the context of what's going on here. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So the Pharisees are the leaders of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus. Now the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One? Whose son is he? And they said to Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One is the son of David. And Jesus said to them, how is it then that David in the Spirit, in other words, inspired by the Spirit of God, calls him Lord saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus then said again to the Pharisees, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And so Jesus was giving, he was schooling the Pharisees on the fact that Jesus himself was the Messiah, was the anointed one. And he was indeed the one that David was talking about when he wrote Psalm 110, that God himself said to the anointed one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. So God the Father said to God the Son, you are to sit on my right hand. And you are to be a priest to the people forever. Hmm. This is interesting. Let's go to the next slide. Next slide should be Romans 834. Okay, let's turn to Romans 834. Now, th- these, sl- these slides that we're looking at now, these were in the original slides uh, that I showed you, all the list of different things, but Romans 834. Now, this is Paul talking And if you go back a little bit. I'm in the wrong book. No wonder that didn't look right to me. If you go to verse 31 in chapter 8 of Romans, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So while Jesus has been given a position at the right hand of God, one of the things that he's doing is interceding on our behalf. Now, You heard me read Psalm 110 to the kids. The Lord never slumbers. He never sleeps. He is always available. Jesus is God. Jesus is also the son who is seated at the right hand of the father who is ever making intercession on our behalf. Who does that? Who makes intercession on behalf of another person? A priest. If you go to the Jewish culture, it was the high priest whose job it was to go into the Holy of Holies and make an offering on behalf of all of the people of, of, of Israel. And Melchizedek was considered one of the high priests. I mean, not... In that hierarchy of Aaron, but this idea of priesthood and coming before God and being, being and, and, and the people of Israel submitting to this priest, that's all dealing with Abraham and, and, and Melchizedek long before any of the kids were born. Move to the next slide. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 and then Hebrews 7. 25, which it should be on the same page for you guys. At least it is on my Bible. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, in the true tabernacle that the Lord set up that was not set up by man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Thus, it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts among according to the law. And then he goes on. We don't need to go past that. Just verses 1 and 2 is the focus I wanted to look at. The point that we're saying is that we do have a high priest like this. The one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. The true tent that the Lord set up. And if you go up to 725... Just a few verses before this, it says, I'm going to start at 23. I mean, 22, excuse me. Well, let's go back up to 20. And it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made with that, made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That's a quote out of Psalm 110. So, Jesus, who by our testimony is the Son of God, Jesus, who ascended to heaven and is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, acting as a high priest, making intercession for us forever, non-stop, continually, never sleeping, never slumbering, always coming to God on our behalf, is right this very Minute, doing that for you. Now let me share you a story. This happened in my own life recently. I have to edit it a little bit because we live in a really tiny community and you might know what I'm talking about. And I don't want that to happen because I don't want to violate anybody's um, privacy. But there was a situation within the last couple, three months where there was a, a situation where somebody was in trouble. And I... Happened to have established a good relationship with somebody in law enforcement. And so when I was dealing with this person who was in trouble, or trying to deal with the person who was in trouble, I couldn't get in touch with that person. The night before they had contacted me and said, I'm in trouble, I need your help. And I said, I'll be glad to take you into town to get the help that you need. No, no, I don't need that. Well, they just wanted me to come present, be present with them at that moment. And I said, I cannot be present with you at that moment, but I will be glad if I, if there's, if this is indeed an emergency, I will take you to get the help that you need. No, 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 no. Okay. I'll pray for you and I will be, I'll contact you in the morning. I'll check and see how you're doing. Okay. Fine. Now I felt badly having to do that at the hour that it was. But at the same time, I had already set some boundaries and I was trying hard to hold those boundaries because this person has, an under, has a, a challenge of not always respecting person, people's boundaries. So I was this interesting little thing going on here. And so in the morning, I make a phone call. There's no answer on the phone. In the morning, I text the person. Actually, I, I reverse. I, I first did a text message. There was no response. So then I did a phone call It immediately went to voicemail. So either they saw who it was and said, decline, or the phone was off. I don't know which. So I was like, ah, I really need to go over and check on them. So I drove to their place. Lights were on. Door was locked. I had a key. I go in. There's nobody there. Hmm. Hmm. They were in distress. They asked for my help. Now they're gone. I don't know where they're at. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to begin looking. I mean, for heaven's sake, there could have been a bear that ate them last night. I don't know. I do remember, though, I do remember this morning, early this morning, I heard a siren going by Chena Hots- on China Hosting's Road, heading out. So I quickly had checked the Pulse Point app to see... If there was a medical emergency, Paul's point didn't say anything, and I thought, oh well, maybe it must be police or something. i no big, no big deal, and so then when my friend was not available and I couldn't reach them, and then they weren't home, I thought, I wonder if something happened and the police got involved. Uh, I'm just all these crazy thoughts. I'm trying to find my friend. I don't know how to how to find my friend. I'm scared that they're laying in the middle of the woods somewhere dying, and I can't help them. So. I call in a favor. I call my friend in law enforcement. I say, I know you can't violate anybody's privacy. I understand that. But can you tell me, was there any police activity at all out in the Two Rivers area in the last 24 hours? Was there any medical stuff involved involving the police? And the person said, let me check. And a few minutes later, they came back and said, no, there wasn't. And then we talked about what was going on, and then the person said, listen, I'll go ahead and I'll start something official, and we'll see if we can get involved to try and help resolve this. And then I was like, I, I, that wasn't really my intent. I wasn't trying to cause a big official. I was just trying to kind of circumvent doing official just to see if there was anything I could look towards to find out what had happened to my friend. Well, to make a long story short, my friend was fine, and that, that ended up positively. But then the, the days passed and I went, I really feel like I violated my friendship with the, vet- the the law officer. I really feel like I took advantage of that comradeship that has formed. And I I need to make that right. And so I sent an email and I didn't make a phone call or anything, but I just sent an email and I said, I said, number one, I want to thank you for your generosity and for your kindness and for what you did. I appreciate it greatly. And number two, I need to seek your forgiveness because I really feel like I stepped over a boundary that may not have been appropriate. I don't want you to ever think that I take your friendship for granted. I don't want to ever think you to think that I'm using you for my own ends. I know you have authority. I know you have position. And and I'm afraid that I did something that could have harmed you or at least harmed us. So please forgive me. Now, the reason I tell you that story. Is because. Jesus. Is in a position of authority. And Jesus, quite frankly, for the better part of my Christian walk, is the one I call out to. I don't know how you guys do it. I know some people that they only talk to the Father. There are some people who talk to the Spirit because the Spirit is present with us right here. There are others who talk to Jesus. There are others who talk to all three. But in my brain, normally, I cry out Jesus when I'm praying. And I never, ever, 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 ever want to take advantage of the relationship I have with Him for my own selfish end my own selfish need I am told in the scriptures if I have any anxiety or any fear or any worry I am to come to God and to prayerfully ask for God and petition God and to to, to and trust God and I and in the word of God literally says to me that I will receive peace and that I will get the things that I've asked for and but I never want to take advantage of the relationship that I have with him by only going to God when I have a need. I want it to be a relationship that I. And the thing that I, this is this is all the, the process that I went through as I mulled over all of this. And the thing that I heard Jesus say is this. Go to the next slide, please. What is not just the significance of the right hand of God, but what is the significance that Jesus himself sits at the right hand of God? And Jesus' answer to me was, number one, I care. And number two, I am able. Think about that. God, the Father, said to God the Son, come and sit in the position of authority in all of heaven. If you look at the term viceroy or vizier, we have bad and manipulated things because of the story of Aladdin and all of this stuff. But but the reality is a viceroy, a vizier, a, a, a person who is given that seat, they are given great responsibility in the government. And they are also given the authority of the king. Or the sultan. Or whoever the one that's in the, the, the throne. And so the viceroy, the, the, the vizier, the, the messiah who's been placed in the right hand of the father has been given the authority by the Father to act on the Father's behalf. And Jesus himself, if you go back to the Gospels, he says, you can't come to the Father except through me. And that means, think about it. That means, imagine Jesus was climbing Denali. He was an expert climber. And he said, I am going to... Spike down, I'm speaking out of ignorance. I've never climbed a mountain in my life. But he said, I'm going to spike down a rope. And every so often, I'm going to put another spike and I'm going to tie off that rope. And as long as when you get to the base of the mountain, you grab a hold of that rope and you continue to hold on to that rope as you make your ascent, you will come to the summit and you will be joining me and the Father. Now, you can choose to come up the mountain any other way you want. And there's still a potential that you could get to the mountain. But Jesus has guaranteed. Now, and that, that's where it breaks down theologically. OK, I'm not saying you can go up to God through any other means. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus intentionally has left this rope for you to hold on to all the way up the mountain. He will guide you. Now, theologically, what does that mean? If you look at Galatians chapter four, it says the father gave us the spirit of the son so that it says also in the gospels that Jesus said, I have to leave so that the other helper, the other paraclete, the other advocate can come in and be there present with you. So we understand that the Holy Spirit of God is present with us. And it literally says in, in Peter I and mean, Paul's words that he intercedes for us. He speaks on our behalf to the Father. It's this really hard to understand, mysterious thing about the way that the Trinity works. <clears throat> but what we do have in our brain that God has given us, whether it's a, a good image or you know accurate image or not, the Father who sits on the throne has given the authority. I want to say to the Son on the right, the Spirit on the left. All three speak the same words for the from the same heart, from the same mind. And Jesus, the role of Jesus right now is to continually make intercession on our behalf until the time that the father says it's time to go get the kids and bring them home. So it is never, ever, ever a bad thing for you to go to Jesus and ask for something. Because he cares for you. First Peter says, cast all your anxieties and cares on him because he cares for you. But even more than he cares for you, he has the very power and authority of the throne of heaven. He not only cares, he is able. So why wouldn't you go to him when you have need? You should never fear to go to Jesus when there's a need in your life. It's an amazing, powerful, glorious story that God has given us in this one little sentence. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf until such time as he comes again to take us home to be with him and the father that little sentence out of the creeds speaks volumes to our day-to-day relationship with God let's pray father thank you thank you thank you thank you for being intimately involved in us with us through us and thank you God that we have an advocate One that we can turn to night or day with any need, knowing that we will not be turned away and knowing we will not be told, hey, I don't have the ability to take care of it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Be with us now as we go into the time of communion. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.